point an amazing thing where the 17 of us from across Australia who were fortunate enough to win one of those were having a discussion on queer verse all the letters of the alphabet and like at points were we gonna think at the start that we'd stand up and say like I'm a G I'm or L. I'm an L <laughs> kind of thing or it's like I'm sometimes a B yeah, and yeah. I'm becoming a T that kind of thing and also, I'm a GQ now. Like, where do you put genderqueer? Where do you put spectrum people who don't want to label as well? Yeah, and on the not wanting to put labels on things, I think, for me, that's why queer is really nice. Because as well as being an umbrella term, it means that if you don't want to put a label on something or maybe carry all the cultural baggage that comes along with identifying yourself as gay or identifying yourself as lesbian, queer enables you maybe do and partake in those things without all the cultural shoes on the side. Hi, I'm Damien. Welcome to Screen Queens. And today we're chatting with a very, very special guest. So who are you and what do you do? My name is Shannon. I am one of the co-directors of Brisbane Queer Film Festival, and I like to say that's my day job, also my night job, my casual job, uh, because I am so involved in this festival and have been for a very long time that it's almost consumed every part and aspect of my life, regardless of where I'm actually working at the time. I also work on a video art festival in Melbourne called Channels, and I guess my background would be in film festivals specifically, uh, whether it's programming or office work or just that environment of a film festival is, I think I like to say it's what I've been brought up in. So in two sentences, if you can, if you could give us a description of what this festival is to maybe those who aren't in the know. Uh, for those who aren't in the know, get in the know. It's in its title. It is Brisbane Queer Film Festival, uh, and that is what it is, and that is what it does. It shows films that represent the community under the umbrella term of queer. Uh, it shows features and shorts, uh, international, Australian, local Brisbane films, um, and more specifically, it engages directly with its audience. I think that's one of the most important things about the Brisbane Queer Film Festival at least. It it has such a great support base from the audience within Brisbane and for people who want to see themselves on screen, they want to see the visibility represented from around the world and are actually able to see it in their hometown of Brisbane, like sleepy little town of Brisbane. And on that, what do you think I suppose is special or is really important about showing the films in this context. Because if we say that increasingly in the mainstream, we are perhaps seeing more queer films that you or I can just go to in a cinema that maybe has three other people there. What's special about seeing it here? I think that's the three other people in the room scenario as well. With a queer film, you will always have your cohort and your group and your represented representation come along with you and you can sit there in solidarity and watch the stories on screen that instantly reflect your life, your situation, your lifestyle. But on that, I just remember I was fortunate enough to go and see a few shows at Melt this oh, yeah, year. Was, yeah. And I saw Rent and one of the best parts of seeing Rent was how 
totally absorbed and into it and supportive the audience was. There was this amazing couple across the room from me and both of the two women there were mouthing all of the words not only to all of the songs but even to some of the dialogue, the dialogue yeah the dialogue like the things you don't get on the soundtrack and then there would have been a row of probably men in their 50s 60s and 70s all of them wearing the equality australia t-shirt across it and just being a part of that room even if the musical was rubbish, which it definitely wasn't, would have been amazing. <laughs> it's the same thing that I felt actually when I saw Hedwig uh, as part of Melt too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they both they both come from a screen and theatre background anyway, so they have that instant uh, audience reach for people who like cinema and theatre and it crosses all of those boundaries. But I think for both of those, um, they aren't specific to one audience. They are specific to a queer audience um, with queer themes and queer people being represented as well. And um, if you're looking at the difference between a mainstream cinema release for a queer film and having it housing it within a queer film context, I think the mainstream releases are definitely increasing, and which is only a good thing to actually have that visibility put out there. Agreed. Um, within the queer film context, you can actually focus more on films that are more marginalised and won't be seen. A lot of them won't even be on a video-on-demand release or on Netflix or anything like that. Um, that you actually are able to bring these to people who would never see them. And it's supporting the artists themselves and the filmmakers themselves because it's actually making their story and their artwork seen by many people and seen in a collective environment as opposed to your small laptop screen at home or, you know, on the couch. Yeah. You're actually going out. You're being present. You're being visible. And you're representing to a certain degree your values and your lifestyle and not being ashamed of it. Yeah. And on that, that's something that's really important to us at Hot Chicks, but also at Screen Queens, uh, cute title. Um, because we, I suppose, believe, and when we sat down right at the beginning and thought about what we wanted this to be, that Screen Queens are not just the people who are up there. It is not just the actors, actresses, and other on the screen. But it is also, one, the people who go and watch those films and form those communities about them. But two, people who work behind those screens and who work like yourself to create, to curate those festivals and do all that engagement. And so as you said, I think what's a really nice part of this is not only a community of people who go, but community that you support in going. I think as well, the more visibility we have in across our entire media spectrum will mean more quality, more understanding and more acceptance. Uh, I think screen is such an integral way of pushing this agenda, if you will. Yeah. If you look at things like transparent and uh, one the of same my kind of ilk. Yeah. TV shows. But again with that one, the, the actual people they employ are I think a very, very high percentage themselves from the community yeah so it's for the community by the community with the community engagement and the spirit and the actual 
purpose to have that other additional space for them to show the world what they can do, who they are, and that the lifestyle is not something to be ashamed of or something to be hidden away in the margins either. Yeah, and the two sisters who created that show, partly based on biographical material of their parent going through that, also did something really wonderful in the second season where they consistently got in female directors to lead the shows, where they did essentially almost a boot camp for them at the start, so then they would be able to go out and kind of take their skills and put them to other projects, which is really nice. Mm, I've so, seen that in a lot of series, actually. Yeah. Um, you you see that they're oftentimes as well film directors, and it's almost like another gig for them to direct one season or one episode of the specific show. And it's really nice to find those connections. And so then, I suppose, to return to maybe the conversation that we were starting at, um, in terms of this is a queer film festival, but in the queer umbrella, lots of different letters. And typically, it's the, like, white male G, and this is coming from a white male G <laughs> speaking, that gets a lot of the showing, that gets a lot of the showtime, and that gets a lot of the attention. And if you look at, like, top 100 best gay movies, you'll see that it'll be like, wow, there's so much white dudes doing this stuff. So how does the Brisbane Queer Film Festival go about including all the letters of the queer alphabet? You've got to look at what content is out there to start with. Uh, Although, yes, the cis, white, male, gay content is so predominantly thrown to the forefront, uh, I don't find issue with that because people still are seeing that and it's still visible and it's still out there. Uh, what I find issue with is then you don't always have to choose and select those films to screen. So they're That's there nice and they're representing, which is great because we need more representation and as much representation as we can get for the queer lifestyle or an alternative lifestyle to the mainstream. But you really need to do your sifting to find the female content or even the non-cisgendered people as well. Um, and. It's, it's a great environment to be in currently because there is actually a lot of content out there from different aspects of the community. Filmmakers themselves, cast and crew, stories. There's a lot of short films as well that represent those things. So having uh, a really solid shorts program is something that's really important to us, specifically for Brisbane. Um, because And it's specific to a lot of film festivals actually because a lot of times that's where you start as a filmmaker. You start making your shorts and then you move into your feature lengths. Um, but a lot of people also get stuck making the shorts and they never progress. So there's a gap between it as well. Uh, and then you're supporting the people, I suppose, who are at that level, have a lot of potential. Yeah. Coming back to that community focus, Yeah, I yeah. And the thing that's great about the shorts as well is that you can put so many aspects of a queer community into one short session mm. and force everyone there to watch the same content. And so they may not always be the lifestyle that they are leading, but they're at least understanding and seeing and having to accept everyone else within the community itself. Uh, like so 20 that, pairs of shoes in maybe an hour. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's nice. And also people have short attention spans, so it's really nice <laughs> to really blast them with completely insane amazing content that's so diverse as well yeah um but 
in terms of Brisbane, uh, I mean, it, I think it's very specific to uh, at least for Sydney and Melbourne as well, having female content in there by female filmmakers and having yeah it is it's when it's Sorry, a, it's that's that's that reaction <laughs> um it's it's something that we don't want to focus on in terms of having a female centric strand we don't need to it's evident enough in the films that are coming out who they're made from and who they're made for once you look at the stills and look at the trailers and read the synopsis. And I also think occasionally the thing with strands can be that it's like, oh, you're off to the side in this cute room, that it's like doing something like a lesbian strand or a trans strand to me makes no sense because one, it's almost like you're segregating them off from what's going to be the main strand, Yeah. but also two all part of the community together, all part of the queer umbrella. Yep, definitely. You don't need to pigeonhole female filmmakers. To the point where you don't even need to pigeonhole queer filmmakers. Um, if you look at someone like Xavier Dolan or, um, you know, of a recent, of contemporary directors anyway, uh, not wanting to actually be pigeonholed as a queer director and not wanting to always be the queer film within the lot. So. It's, I think it's very, it's changing as well. There's a lot of people that are um, up and coming and deciding how they want to present or represent themselves. Yeah, um, and I think something, just on Xavier Dolan, something like, for instance, Lawrence Anyway, is that what I think is a wonderful, sprawling, but wonderful film. <laughs> um, that, despite having a uh, like queer issue and queer character at its heart, isn't, I suppose, one of the films that is specifically about a queer issue if that makes sense it's more just looking at a queer person live their life and the loves and tribulations that come their way and that kind of perspective and storytelling is really nice it is and it's something that uh again if you wanted to look at brisbane as uh having a focus or a theme we do tend to highlight at least uh, a new wave type of queer film so that and how, sorry, how do you class or, like, define, I suppose, new wave queer? Well, there's a lot of ways to do it. I don't want to pigeonhole myself into one yep, specific. Um, sorry, didn't want to throw that No, that's all right. I mean, there's a lot of... You can go back as far as the 90s with actual just new queer film and look at the, uh, the way that you don't have to be stigmatised mm. um, moving forward into a new wave queer film. It's no longer an issue for being gay in the film. It's no longer an issue that you have two mums in the film. Yeah. It's about uh, acceptance and equality and living the life that you're living and not having any issue with that and not having to continually represent yourself as queer and have all of your friends come out and accept you as queer. It's, it's, it, it's very universal. You don't need these days to constantly focus on the stigma of being queer within a film mm. for me is what a new wave queer film does and on that sorry what will be a, I think an interesting follow up is then what makes a queer film for instance what seems like a superficial or easy question to answer I think actually becomes quite difficult because if we take Xavier Dolan there are some of his films which I, in my mind, would be like, yep, I think that's a queer film. And then there would be other films he'd, 
he has done. And I would say, no, I don't think that is a queer film. And I don't necessarily class them just based on what the contents is. I think we all go into different films with a little bit of research or a blatant lack of understanding about who's made the film or who's in the film. So there's always that whether you're willing to invest the time to find out who's made the film and project your own queerness to it or your mm. own gaze to it as well. Um, if, if people didn't know that Xavier Dolan was a queer director, then I don't think there would be an issue or uh, an instance to actually automatically label his films as queer anyway. Yeah, um, And, you know, there's still queer directors out there who make content specifically that is heteronormative. So there's no... I don't think you can define it just by um, who the director is or what the director stands for. Um, I think that it's also self-proclaiming with the film. If the film doesn't want to represent us queer publicly, it doesn't need to. It can be quite subtle in, in some of the nuances that it portrays as well. And I think that's really important because if you know the person, it's, it's like with anyone, if you know they're queer or you know a singer or a, a writer or an artist is queer, you might naturally you know, absorb everything that they're doing and gravitate towards them because you feel a kinship, you know why they're doing what they're doing. Um, but with a film that's made by a straight director that still has queer context in it and queer actors in it, What's to say that that's any less of a genuine queer film mm -hmm. than something that's made from a out director? Yeah, that's really nice. I really like that. I suppose my next question is that if you had to make one queer film compulsory viewing for, let's say, everyone in Brisbane, what would that queer film be? I'm going to say Kiki again, um, which is our open night film this year. Uh, it's a reimagining, if you will, of Paris is Burning. So to start with, if you haven't seen Paris is Burning, see that before you see Kiki, just to give it a bit of more historical context and yeah. a bit more richness to why they've made something like Kiki as a homage, really. Um, but... Kiki's Fierce um, it is a collaboration between a marginalised queer community in America, people of colour, uh, collaborating with a queer female Swedish filmmaker, um, or filmmaker from Sweden rather. And the fact that they've let her into their world and able ability to film it and uh, attend their ballrooms and actually be accepted behind the scenes is quite remarkable for yeah. a documentary like this. Um, because it does require that. You're right in terms of it is their world. And at points, documentaries can be intrusive. And it's the documenter just comes in, films it, and goes. But I think ones that are based on acceptance just work so much better and mm. so well mm -hmm. and it's it's a really nice collaboration between um people of color um cisgendered people females as well there's just uh this really nice harmony and dynamic 
to it as and well. And community. For, yeah, and community, yeah. And I saw, sorry, on Kiki, was sent a few clips here and there, and saw that incredible clip where they're at the um, house of the pink lady, which typically in, um, I suppose, queer communities is a house run by a particular person. They can be like drag houses, they can be queer, they can be trans, they can be whatever. And there's this amazing scene um, where a person is voguing and dancing and there's a circle, a wonderful queer circle around him. One, the voguing there is out of this world. The dancing is incredible. But two, that sense of them all clapping and enjoying the movements is just Mm. amazing. It is, it is. It's... You don't always have to understand voguing or the ballroom scene or anything like that, but the feeling that the film creates and the feeling you get as a viewer as well... The energy. ...makes you, yeah, you feel like you're there and you're watching it happen and you're witnessing something very special that you may not be able to see normal life um, and you may not have the the area around you or the support around you to actually live that loud and proud in your everyday life and I think when with the ballroom scene you can actually be yourself there and it's celebrated to be like that and you're right it is that kind of I suppose combination of being incredibly fierce and a performance that they're doing Yet, whilst doing that, it's intimate and it's revealing that kind of, I suppose, double up or things that you wouldn't think go together Mm. here go together really, really nicely. Mm -hmm. And so just on, I suppose, the ballroom scene or its connection to Paris is Burning, do you Mm. just want to quickly talk about what is the ball scene and what that actually looks like or unfolds? Because I I love... probably maybe once a year or so watch Paris is Burning and just seeing the balls and the kind of competitions and the all of that element to it is amazing. Yeah, it's uh, a little difficult to describe (laughs) myself because I've not been to a ballroom but I've seen a lot of the references and I've seen a lot of the clips as well and it is about uh, the community spirit and the community angle but it's also you're dressing up and you're performing and you have a stage. That stage may not be a grand hall. It may be not even a stage. It may literally be the runway is the floor that everyone's walking on. And there's that element of everyone is there and you're so close to everyone. You said before about the intimacy of it. Um, But with the judging and that sort of dynamic between um, who's better than you and the actually striving to be the best type and style of your house that you want and um, of your category as well. So if you wanted to look at a more contemporary view rather than Paris is Burning, you've got RuPaul's Drag Race as um, somewhat of an influence as well on a mainstream community at least to have access to see that so easily on YouTube and um, and how much influence that has been on culture in general. But I think, I at least think, that RuPaul's Drag Race, I suppose, in its current form, wouldn't really be possible without 
the ballroom scene and also I think the way that show continually references Paris is burning like there's a real cultural debt there yeah there is there is definitely and I think Kiki pays that respect in its form um, of the film the documentary very much so um, they are such a marginalized community and they are not always about marriage equality they're about the marginalized issues because they are the marginalized people and and they're the ones that affect them yeah it affects them and they're just trying to live their life and they the fact that they have an outlet such as this ballroom scene where they can come to a safe space learn new skills and actually perform and get to express themselves as well if you wanted to use another term around voguing yeah uh I think it's, yeah, it's just a really important film, visibility-wise, for mainstream audiences to see as well, as well as a queer audience. Yeah, and so on that, you mentioned that you saw Kiki last year at a festival. And so that obviously, I suppose, is part of your curating process and the team that you work with. But can you talk us through how you go from nothing to full film festival program. What does that look like? Do you travel down to Sydney and Melbourne? Do you spend hours on a computer trawling through these are all the queer films that came out in 2016? Are you checking out what other film festivals are you doing? Do you get in touch with local Brisbane creators and see what they're making? Everything you've just said, yes. Uh, I think the beauty of being someone who works in film festivals you don't necessarily have to be a programmer on everything. You can still work within a film festival and be there in that environment and see a lot of the different influences from a different programmer's perspectives as well and um, just take on board what is happening in that office and that environment. And you do have access to a lot of the films prior to a lot of um, other film festivals and. Um, definitely prior to the audience that would be seeing it in the current festival anyway so you can see that you can see a lot of times I look for the directors and their connection to other directors so like Mm -hmm. we were talking about with Transparent and how there's a different director uh, for each episode even to the point of looking at who's directing those episodes what they've done in the past um, what they're doing in the future a lot of research Uh, unfortunately I don't have the money to travel internationally for those film festivals but being able to connect and talk to Sydney and Melbourne um, queer film festivals is integral to this Um, uh, we were actually founded by Melbourne Queer Film Festival so Lisa Daniel the director there um, made the program in his existence at Powerhouse so there's a little bit of um, history and respect that we have to pay to a Melbourne festival and also to Sydney and Queer Screen uh, is actually something that is a great influence on me personally in how we wish to shape the festival or move it into its um, independent phase as well because they are their own body and they have their own board of directors and they run this model where you can actually support yourself and support a film festival as well as putting on something like a Mardi Gras film festival Mm. and that dual um, programming stream as well means there's a lot more uh, content you can gather 
and if we didn't look for any other film festival or to any other film festival for guidance I think that would be um, quite detrimental if we sat in Brisbane and pretended that Brisbane was still a sleepy little town and waited for things to come to us um, I think we'd be behind behind the eight ball a little bit anyway so Um, a lot of the times as well international awards so the Teddy Award um, in Berlin and the Queer Queer Palm Palm. in Cannes um, uh, are some really great uh, ways to find content Um, a lot of European content so I think also looking Asia Pacific as well Um, and you have sorry to leap in have had experience in terms of working with like the Brisbane Asia Pacific Film Festival so with that kind of international experience and international work has that helped do you think shape your outlook in trying to get films that um, resonate or are from those areas definitely yeah Uh, I think as a programmer you bring your own influences and your own experiences to what you're providing to your audience and so if you are very sheltered and don't look out for other people and what other people are doing and if you're not willing to be influenced or um, mentored as well you you really need to uh, figure out why and where you're coming from and where you want to go to Um, with my personal experience I think yeah just working in those film festivals in Sydney and Brisbane um, and in Melbourne that you you're open you have to be open to a hell of a lot more experiences and people's ideas and people's opinions as well and listening to a lot of people and listening to why they're making those programming choices and where they're looking as well and i think that becomes particularly important in the queer film context as we were talking about earlier when you want representation from all the different letters of the queer alphabet Let's be honest, we individually can't cover all of them ourselves. And so being prepared to kind of take and engage with multiple viewpoints from people within different positions in that community, I think, would be really beneficial. Yeah, it is, definitely. And we've recently become part of the Asia-Pacific Queer Film Festival Alliance uh, with Sydney and Melbourne and a lot of film festivals in the Asia-Pacific region as well. And so that has meant that we... And not just looking at their program and uh, looking at their choices, we're actually engaging very closely with those programmers and sharing content and sharing ideas and actually making more room for films that are much more in the margins than anything from Europe or America as well. Because you still got to look at the dominant film producing countries or areas at least in Europe and America specifically with queer film as well yeah um so it's nice to actually be invited and allowed to negotiate and liaise with people from different areas um who want to actually have their films shown as well yeah so you're one small part of a community very small part of a community yeah. yeah Yeah. But still important, integral part. We're important to Brisbane. I mean, you, we're here yeah. 18 years now. I think if if that doesn't say that we're meant to be here and we're meant to be staying here and that Brisbane actually needs and wants and supports a queer film festival, then I don't think there would be one at all. Yeah, and then nothing does, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, we're once a year, so I think that 
uh, still being able to have different events and specific, specifically in Brisbane, the climate in terms of queer has just leaped, yeah. leaps and bounds completely. And so I think that the community has embraced it and are actually putting on a hell of a lot more queer content, I think, because it is more accepted in the main mainstream world now as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so just turning, I think, to two other films that I have, like, gone through and looked and been really kind of taken by instantly. One is, as we were talking about when I first walked in, Women Who Kill, which is this brilliant kind of meld of two, like, interests that really always pick my attention. One, of course, is the queer in terms of the characters there, but the second is true crime. Um, and so... I suppose quick, like, 20-second rundown of that, just for people listening, is that essentially this um, couple of Morgan and Jean, who were once a couple, but now no longer, together run a true crime podcast, but that is focused specifically on female killers. And so there is a difficult situation that comes up in the film in terms of they suspect that Morgan's new love interest is one such murderer. And there is a brilliant trailer clip online, which is one minute, where the two of them sit down with a woman who's an inmate who is a murderer and start having a conversation with her that's essentially the start of their podcast. And it is so frustrating because it is so gripping, so interesting, and it just cuts itself off right at the end. Yeah. So why did you choose Women Who Kill? Uh, Ingrid Youngerman, the director, uh, she is kind of a hero of mine. Uh, she made a web series called F to Seventh, um, and also another one called The Slope. Uh, very American, American focused. Um, regardless, they uh, she creates these things that are so interesting to me and. They really just speak to me completely. Uh, they're so funny, but they're so bland it is at really the same funny. time. It's that black comedy and that black humour, yet it's it's so deadpan at the same time, but it's really real. Like It's so authentic in its delivery and in its writing, also in its casting and its crew. It's such a holistic queer experience for me. Um, and... She was in a film called Lyle from 2015 that we screened as well, and that was a reimagining of Rosemary's Baby, oh, a lesbian, okay. re- a lesbian reimagining. Um, but that that was sort of the first in this crime thriller wave. style, like black comedy kind of wave thing that I went. Actually, this is great. I, I could follow this track for days. Uh, and so, Women Who Kill. Uh, you couldn't. We couldn't not screen it, um, based on those kind of factors for me specifically. And it's also from my description, it doesn't sound particularly funny, but it is very, very funny. Within that one minute, there's just these kind of really funny deadpan, but also slight cutting jokes. Yeah. The murderer says about another murderer's work. Oh, it's like. Um, quantity over quality it's like going to community college and one of the two interviewers just really quietly to herself said I went to community (laughs) college 
That actually is Ingrid, the director, as well. Yeah. So um, she stars and directs in a lot of, I mean, basically all of her stuff as well. I love that combo. We, yeah, it's a, it's a killer combo. Um, but for this film, it is so deadpan that if, if you're not there, if you're not present, you might miss it. Um, but it's definitely, for me, a, a black comedy and yeah. a thriller at the same time. And I think the other thing that's interesting about the film is it made me think about the true crime that, like... I ordinarily listen to or watch. And so much of that is male or masculine focused. So if we take the the main big one in terms of serial, even though that is run, spoken, and organized by Sarah Koenig, who does a wonderful job at doing that, so much of the thrust of the show is figuring out what the male killer did and the women involved, and particularly the female victim, kind of just exists on the side or exists just as plot points in the greater story. Mm. But really what we want to know is what this dude did or did not do. Mm. I think that when you said female victim as well is the uh, twist with this one because you've also got uh, your female uh, serial killer and your female victim. So it's not suggesting that it is such a queer um, serial killer's uh, twist or anything like that, Um, but I think it really does focus on um, the feminine Mm. holistically throughout the whole film, everything about it. Um, And, I mean, it's such such a gay film, such a gay film. I mean, the couple who do the podcasts recently have split up, still live in the same house still have the same friendship circles. They still hang out all the time. So it's sort of like, you can't get any more lesbian than that, really. Um, Can't get any more difficult than that Yeah, it's it's, it's high drama as well. So if you're looking for something that's really, um, (laughs) it's really about lesbian relationships, then I think this is something that you'll really enjoy as well. Yeah, great. Another film, probably the final one, I just want to, talk about and get some opinions about is Real Boy. Um, do you want to talk us through a quick summary of Real Boy? Or would you like me to? I feel you're in a much better position to do this than I am. <laughs> no, I, I kind of liked your take on Women Who Kill. It makes me go, yeah, you're right. That's exactly what it is. It's perfect. Okay, thanks. Blushing. <laughs> a little bit of compliment to get me through the rest of this. So I think in terms of Real Boy, I once more have not yet fully seen the film, but I'm very keen to. I think it's, to my mind, just a really intimate story, not only of a person going through a transition, but also a family going through that same transition. And so what the film does, I think, that's really nice is that you have almost these layers of change. And so I suppose the main character or the focus of the film um, is Bennett, who is going through that transition while his family and in particular his mother copes with understanding that and I think on top of those two layers you also have something which is quite nice which is where his family is thinking and coping with all of that but he's also able to find I suppose another family or another community that he can tap into for guidance and so there are just these multiple levels that connect I think in a really really nice really intimate way it's definitely about navigation about navigating uh, their own life and their own choices but also how they navigate within 
the world at large and you're spot on with the layers definitely and the family aspect as well there's a lot of times when queer people are either coming out or realizing to themselves that they may be queer they're losing a lot of their family in the process and they need to find their new family and their friends and find that community aspect and I think this is such a wonderful story of finding a mentor and a support base that isn't your family but becomes your family mm. and, and mentor is a nice word it's that nice dynamic of uh, if your family don't accept you you go out and find a family that will and that family will be your friends and that is also a little bit of what Kiki is slightly about as well and I think if you look at uh, the program holistically it might hone in on a couple of those facts that if you're not accepted where you are um, you can find places that you will be accepted and Real Boy it, it starts off looking like a YouTube film because it has Bennett posting um, how many days he's been on tea and things um, but it actually comes into this really beautiful documentary and you're right about a mother's transition as well yeah and so it's her trying to cope and understand and it's not even about Bennett forcing his mother to cope and understand with it he's very confident in making his own way and making his own family and whilst the his parent really does struggle and you can see that struggle within it as well yeah and she's so hurt as well and it's kind of it's very sad to see a mother feel so hurt at a child trying to live their most real self. Yeah. And I think, just kind of following on from that, I was really fortunate to, over the weekend, be having lots of conversations with lots of different people in the queer community. And one of them was um, an 18-year-old trans male. And what he said to me really clearly was, I've just been through menopause and I'm about to start puberty. And my mind was blown in terms of just the chemical, biological changes that are happening with this that you have to cope with, as well as all of the other emotional, psychological things that are going on in your life during that period. And so I think, and I really hope in terms of the engagement, that it just gives people that little bit of perspective into that. And just the other thing you mentioned in terms of what Real Boy does is if you don't kind of have your own family or your own community, you can go out and find one. And I think part of what you and I have been circling around this whole conversation is that at points the Brisbane Queer Film Festival is that community, is you can go in there, sit in the dark with some friends or totally alone, but you will be part of that community. And when you come out into the light after seeing a queer film, there is that strength and that family and that warmth around you, which is really, really nice. Yeah. It's something that we, my co-director Justin Marshman and I were talking about very early on about the feeling around the festival and a statement that we would be making about the festival. And for us, we both sort of were at Powerhouse around the same time in our career and would go to the Queer Film Festival and sit there in the dark with a bunch of people from Brisbane and the lights would come up and the house lights would come on and you would just sort of look around and see 
everyone that you knew and hundreds of people that you didn't know, but also different aged people, different genders, um, just difference, such diverse audience, yet you're all there watching the exact same thing on screen at the same time in the same room. And it was this moment of feeling actually, yeah, this, that's what the festival is. It's that, it's bringing people together. It's having everyone realize that they're all on the same level when they come and watch a film and they're all sitting in the same theater. And when the lights come on and you look around and you see that feeling of community and connectedness, even if you don't know the people, you still have that feeling that you're there.